Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you, uh, do you ever stop and think about how often we talk about what we've seen, what we have experienced, what we read? For example, did you see this? Have you read that? Doesn't matter if that person you are asking says yes or no, you are going to describe it with, oh, you've got to see that show. You've got to read that book. Or if you both saw it, be like, can you believe that that happened? Did you see when they did this? Whether it's a show, a sporting event, what you did that day, a conversation you had at work, something that happened while you were sitting in traffic in your car. I I mean, we describe what we do or what we saw or what we read quite a bit. And it's one of those things where if it's natural, you know, and you're not thinking about it, we all do it. And I'd like to think we do it pretty well. But then if we have to stand up and tell the story, stand up and have everyone watch us, well, then we have a tendency to get a little nervous, to not want to tell, to just kind of be like, uh, yeah, you just had to be there. But it's interesting to me how often we are called to recall an event. I bet if you thought about it today, at the end of the day, actually, I bet if you think about it tonight, I want you to think, how many times did you describe something that happened or ask someone what happened? And when you start to think about it, we share our experiences quite a bit. Anyways, as we continue our Word of the Lord Grows series, today we're spending time in First Peter. And our text today is really the climax of the first major part of the letter where Peter announces who we are in Christ. And he does so in four rapid ways over ten verses. First children, then blocks of stone in a temple, then priests, and finally as a chosen nation. And it may seem like it's just, you know what, Peter, those are some really solid metaphors. We've used them for a long time. And uh, today, though, we're going to look at the Old Testament roots of these images and the interconnection of how these four metaphors become clear and quite powerful when we see them through the breadth of Scripture. Because Peter has a way of telling us what he has seen what he has heard, what he has experienced, and now what we have. Now this letter was written to the five providences in Asia Minor, to the Jews who were scattered there from the diaspora, and to the Gentiles who were worshiping with them. So if you brought your Bibles with you, now's the time to pull them out. We can make some notes in them, some verses that we can look at later as well. But I am picking up in 1 Peter chapter 2, and here's verses 1 through 3 behind me. Rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Peter opens by naming five things that we as followers of Christ Jesus need to remove from our lives. And you see them there, right? These five are related to practical life among the people of God. And if you notice, they all have to do very largely with the way that we speak. And if you've become accustomed to thinking that when New Testament writers call us to live a certain way or do something, because we've been going through all of these letters in the New Testament, and you've been accustomed to thinking that, well, that's kind of just like the goal, or this is the way a perfect person would be, I want you to take careful note today of the word all, all, every. It would seem that the Apostle Peter is very much making a point that this isn't some goal that there's no room for compromise here. This is in a diet where for a while you should do without these five things, or in a certain time around certain people don't do these, but are in out in the real world. This is a rid yourselves of all five of these things. 
Because look at how these traits stand against the qualities of truth. Look at how they stand against the qualities of love. Deceit and hypocrisy are opposed to truth. Envy, slander, malice all go against love. Peter reminds us that if truth and love are going to be the markings for the followers of Jesus, then we must completely remove these things from our lives. They must have no place. And we are to actively war against them. And we have been reborn. As newborn babies, he said, need milk to grow. In chapter 1, he uses a seed as a metaphor. Now he's using milk. As newborns need milk to grow, so the disciple of Jesus needs the Word to grow. Again, it would seem that Peter is implying that it doesn't just happen. You don't just grow and become mature because you want to. You need the Word spoken to you, read to you and by you, lived by you and around you. For deceit and lies abound all around us. The Word, which is the gospel itself and all it attains, must be drank, Peter says, for growth. And I love that it means it entails all the grace of Christ available to us, leading us to put on a, a new way of life and to grow up in your salvation. That is to become mature, to grow up and change, to be what we have been called. If this, friends, is not a, word, a call for the Word of God to be in your life, these words right here from St. Saint, from Saint Peter, I don't know what else can be done. Whether it's someone teaching you in study or from a sermon, whether it's listening to it in your car or spending time on your own, this is the call for the Word in our lives. Not an option. He says you cannot mature if you don't read. I'll use an example. You can't get better at basketball if you're not dribbling, you're not working on your craft, you don't get to just show up for the game and suddenly you're LeBron James. Maybe you're not a sports fan. Flowers, you bought them, but they just won't grow. Well, they don't grow until you plant them and you water them and you give them sunshine. Why did we think that growing up in Christ would be any different? Peter is saying, you cannot mature if you aren't in the Word. Crave it so you can mature. And we have access to so much. People are always asking me, what's a good book? What's a good devotion that I could add to get a little closer to Jesus? And I always tell them, start with the source. Read the Word. The Word in itself is sufficient enough to make you grow. And Peter says the same thing. You have tasted that source. It's beautiful. He's echoing what they said in the Old Testament in Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Look at the physical and the spiritual. Having tasted the Lord's goodness, you are called to seek, to crave, to be in the milk, the Word of God. And all that it entails, where the Word was made flesh and now is here, for you to receive. Be in the Word. And then he doesn't stop. He, quick, he quickly keeps going. He's got, as you come to Him, 
the living stone, rejected by humans, chosen by God, precious to God. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God for, through, Christ, through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, chosen and precious, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, that's us, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, the word, the gospel, which is also what they were destined for. And if we go back to 4-5 here, in this image of a house or a temple made of stones, Peter is again echoing this Psalm 34, the call to come to him, come to Jesus himself, who is a living stone, rejected by humans, chosen and precious to God. Combining two different Old Testament texts that we just looked at from Isaiah 28 and Psalm 118. But this is reminding us that Jesus is the stone that the Father has given to you and I as the foundation for our home. He was rejected by the Jewish leaders of his day, but he was raised up and put in the place as the foundation for our very lives. He is the living stone because though he was rejected, though they cut him off in death, he was raised from the dead and to this day still lives. But this is where it gets crazy because in strikingly, Peter applies the image of stones directly to us that we too are to be like living stones, letting themselves be built into a spiritual house, not just an ordinary house made of lifeless stones, but a true spiritual temple of God that has us living members and living with one another, not on our own, sitting at our homes, but here, together, serving, worshiping, being the temple. See, in the Old Testament, the temple in Jerusalem was called the house of God, the dwelling place of God among his people. But now we, we have become the dwelling place of God. The one sitting next to you is the living stone that is being built into the dwelling place of God the Spirit. And is it an interesting that the one, Peter, who writes this, is the same one who saw and heard from Jesus. Saw Jesus point to that city and said, you see that city on a hill, it can't be hidden at night. He's the one who heard Jesus stand up in the temple and say, I am the light of the world, and then call us the light of the world. Peter understands this both. He and us because of him. He says, you are not only being built, but you are also serving. You will go from a living stone being a part of all of this to then serving in this same temple, serving one another. Because a priest was someone who was ordained and called by God to serve in the temple, offering sacrifices and prayers and needs of the people before the Lord. And by your baptism... Not only have you entered into the inheritance of God to become an heir like Christ, but you are also called to serve in the way that a priest serves, to offer a sacrifice, not of a bull, but of your very life, 
your very life, the way you live and speak and the things you bear witness to is your sacrifice to the Lord. And you have been called priest that you are to offer prayers on behalf of those in need. Pastor Tim reminded us at our devotion today that there are 57 names on that prayer list. And I would venture there's a couple hundred more on our hearts. We have a responsibility not to groan at the length of the names, but instead to see that people are hurting and are asking you, priest, to lift up their name specifically to the Father. And he drives home that point. You are the one that God has called to do this. Paul says it differently in Colossians when he refers to this, be a priest like Jesus. Paul says, you have seen God work. And when you see how God works, you learn how to do your work as both temple and priests, as the place where God's Spirit dwells, you offer the sacrifices and you bring the names of those who need to be prayed for. And he supports that through these verses in 6 to 8. Isaiah 28, 16, where God reprimands those who put first other and put their trust in other gods, promises that he's going to establish himself in a way that whoever trusts in him will never be put to shame. Then you've got Psalm 118, where the psalmist is rebuking those who reject God's stone. And then you've got this little bit from Isaiah 8, where the prophet says that those who fail to believe the Lord become these faithless ones. They trip over the stone. They did not put their hope in Jesus the rock, but rather in their self. And so they stumble. They are ignorant. They reject the word of God, the gospel. But I had to stop at that part at the end there, which is also what they were destined for. Were they personally fated by God to disbelieve and disobey the gospel of Christ? Does this mean that there's predestination? And then if so, what does it matter, right? I think Billy Joel said if sooner or later it comes down to fate. Well, now maybe some interpret Peter this way. But this isn't what Peter is saying. He's showing that the scriptures predicted ahead of time that Jesus the stone would be established by the Father. That this would cause a division and that some would reject. Peter's comment here isn't robbing anyone of free will. Instead, it's giving us, the believers, the confidence that the ongoing rejection of Jesus was foreknown, was foretold by God. So take heart, because you have the living stone. You are being built as a living stone. In fact, more than just being included, look, look, look at how he says you're included in the next verse. Chosen people holy nation, God's special possession. This is the main point of the apostle to each one of us and to those he wrote. This isn't about people who are disobeying or stumbling. This is about announcing who you are. 
Four phrases that are coming directly out of Exodus 19 and Isaiah 43 where the people were delivered from Egypt out of slavery and they were delivered from exile into Babylon. Peter is saying that you have now been delivered once and for all from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil because of Christ Jesus and what he accomplished for you on the cross and in his resurrection. You are now a nation, a people chosen by God to be his own, holy as he is holy. Heirs and priests to grow in the word, to offer your life as a living sacrifice, to pray constantly, to look to the needs of others, to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the wonderful light, called you to announce God's great deeds by giving testimony, by speaking and living to what you have seen and heard. You have come out of the darkness to walk in the light. Isaiah is the one who called Jesus the covenant to the people, the promise, the light to all nations. And Peter, building on that, says you are to praise God by giving witness to him, to sing, to speak. We don't sing in church because it's cute. We sing because we're full of praise, lifting our voices. Look at what you've said today. Christ is my cornerstone. On him alone I build. You wrote... Thy strong word cleaves the darkness. I love that. That's powerful. Praise to thee whose light doth send. Breathe thine own life, breathing breath. Alleluia, alleluia. Give us lips to sing thy glory. Give us tongues to proclaim your mercy. Throats to shout the hope that is inside us. Mouths to speak their holy names. The bells went ding, 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 dong. Same thing. That is why we are here to sing and to praise and to speak and to bear witness to what we have seen, what you have experienced. And I will close with this. Who told you sharing your faith and speaking to what you have received was aggressive or rude? Who told you that? Who told you that sharing your faith, speaking to what you have received from Jesus Christ himself was hard? Who told you to connect your faith to your politics? Who told you that that's just your opinion, man, and only your opinion? Who told you that you have to have every single answer before you can speak to what God has done for you? Who looked at you and told you you shouldn't be involved in this mission, in this kingdom stuff? Who told you prayer doesn't work and isn't real? Who told you that you are alone and that you have no one and you're just speaking to a voice in the sky? Who told you that dead is dead and doesn't live again? And your answer, if like mine, is probably a lot of people and may even be some of the things that you yourself feel you've experienced or that you hear and see when you turn on your TV and you scroll on your phone. But here, friends, is the apostle, the one who walked with Jesus, the one who was in Jesus' inner circle, who saw with his own eyes what the Word made flesh does. And yes, also denied with his own voice, but with his voice now says this, you who have received Jesus as Lord, baptized into his name, called his very own, you are chosen by God. You are known by God. You are not alone, but rather are being built into something that is bigger than you, built upon Christ you have been called one who may pray and bring their requests to the very presence of the Creator. 
and have been equipped with all that you need. Why be in the Word? So that you know who you are. To remind you, to remind yourself of whose you are and who you are. That is your Word, your message from God to you.